and uh, adults. If, I, don't you hate being called an adult, but yet you are an adult. So adults, we'll take our Bibles, we'll turn to John chapter 14, and uh, let's seek God's prayer, uh, let's, seek God, let's seek the face of our Lord in prayer, uh, that He would guide us and direct us this evening. Father, again, Lord, we come into Your presence and Our desire, our prayer, as we have just sung, is that we would surrender all. Uh, In particular, Father, as we look at this evening how you have provided your Holy Spirit to us, um, that we would feel the Holy Spirit, that His influence in our lives, His work in our lives would help us to be confident, to know that you are ours. I pray, Father, this evening that uh, our hearts would be open and attentive to what you'd have for us, that we would seek to learn of your word, to learn of your riches and glory, the riches of grace that have been poured out upon us in Christ. And then, Father, to live according to that reality uh, in our everyday lives. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, and we pray, Lord, that you'd work again in our midst by your spirit. We pray this in his name, pleading his blood. Amen. So as we've been continuing on in this study, looking at Christ as prophet, priest, and king, uh, we've been looking at particularly the prophetic office. And we, just to quickly recap, we saw how there was the promise of a prophet. We saw how Christ is the one who fulfills that promise. And now we're looking at, so what does that mean for us going forward? In a practical sense, in an everyday sense, what does the fact that Jesus Christ is, is prophet, how does that affect us? And what we're looking at and have been looking at for the last couple weeks is that means that the church has a role, a prophetic role, uh, that has been given to us, and and particularly we have that by virtue of our union with Christ. And so, so we've been called to take the message of the gospel, to take Christ's message to the world. We are standing, the church today is standing in the line of Moses, in the line of Elijah, in the line of Isaiah. Um, calling people to repent and to find their hope in, in Jesus Christ alone. So how do we do that? How do we stand in this lineage, this line of prophets? And of course, we looked at how God enables us to do that. And we spent some time several weeks ago discussing how our union with Christ by faith enables us to do this. We are in Christ by faith. He is the head. We are the body. Uh, He is the vine, we are the branches. And so by abiding in Him, by living our lives um, connected to the source of life life that Jesus is, we are able then to step out and do the role that He was sent to do. Uh, It's a mystical thing, it's something that we can't fully wrap our heads around, but yet it is clearly described in Scripture that we are united to Christ by faith. And again, we talked about when we think of union with Christ, we typically think of all the glories and the blessings that we have. But those blessings and those glories that are ours in Christ and that we can revel in, they also are given to enable us to take the message of the gospel and to fulfill the prophetic role. But God has not just given us this union with Christ, and that is the primary way this happens, but He has also provided an intermediary between us and the Father and the Son, and that is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit is the one who is given to us to specifically enable us on a day-by-day basis. And so I was, I was really, uh, really 
you know, adventurous the other week, and I put in, in the, the, the passage that we were going to be looking at last week, Acts chapter 2, because that's where we see the outpouring of the Spirit, and we didn't get anywhere near that. And so if you'll notice tonight, I didn't put Acts chapter 2, because we're still not going to get anywhere near that. Uh, but instead, we're going to be looking, <coughs> particularly in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, about uh, the promises that Christ gives us about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is promised to work within us so that we can fulfill this prophetic role. Um, so we looked at the promise of the Spirit. Jesus is explaining to his disciples that he's soon to depart from them. So we see this in John 14. Um, in fact, let's, look in, let's, let's read the scripture first before we review what we looked at last week. So John 14, verses 15 through 18 and 23 through 26. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then, Excuse me, look at verses 23 through 26 of John chapter 14. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance, or He will remind you all that I have said to you. And then if you want to jump over to chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. Jesus says in John 16, chapter 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. So, to quickly, briefly review where we left things off last week, we looked at the promise of the Spirit that Jesus gives. He's explaining to his disciples that he's soon to depart. He's describing to them that he's going to go to the cross, die. We know he'll be raised again. He's already made that promise to his disciples, but he's not going to remain with them. He'll spend 40 days preparing them, but then after those 40 days are up, he's going to ascend back to the Father. But he does not leave his disciples alone. He promises that another helper will be sent by the Father at the request of the Son. Now, again, we made the point, Jesus calls the Spirit another helper. So what does that imply? Who is the first helper? Jesus himself. And so, again, I, I tried to make the connection last week about, you know, we would, we would love to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear him teach us. Hear, hear, wouldn't it be great to have been there when he preached the Sermon on the Mount? But the implication of what Jesus is saying is, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm giving you the Spirit who's going to continue this. So 
there's a real reality, a real reality, that's redundant, but anyways, there's a, there's a real truth here that we are able through the Spirit to experience that same type of teaching that the people in the first century experienced when Jesus was with them. And so he sends this other helper who's going to minister or help or comfort the disciples as the first helper would. I, I think that's another thing that we often miss in this. Um, the Spirit is called the helper. He's called the paraclete. That, that term, that Greek term, literally means to come alongside and to bear up under. Um, we, we read this morning about how Jesus calls us to take our burdens and to lay them on Him, to take His yoke upon us. Uh, the Spirit helps us in these things. The Spirit bears up with us. And it is the Spirit providing that same ministry that Jesus Christ Himself would have provided for His people. So there is the promise of the Spirit. Well, what is the Spirit specifically going to do? And that's where we see, secondly, the Spirit's presence with His disciples. We see this in verses 16 and 18 of John chapter 14. He says in verse 16, I will ask the Father, He will give you another helper to be with you, how long? Forever. The Spirit is promised to be with the disciples forever. His ministry is a lasting ministry. All of the disciples' work, everything that they do, all that they've been commissioned to do and sent out by Jesus to do, all of it will be accomplished in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a, a glorious thing because we're not called to take the message of the gospel and to be dependent upon ourselves to do this. I think sometimes we can sort of worry about when we share the gospel, are we sharing it exactly right? Are, are, we, are we doing things exactly right? Now, we need to be accurate. We need to be biblically accurate. And so this isn't an excuse for us to be lazy in the way we share the gospel. But if we point people to Christ and point Him to His Word, ultimately, it's not the persuasiveness of our words. It's not the, the way in which we arrange our, our arguments or the way in which we say these things. It, it, who is it that gives life? It's the Spirit that gives life. And He works among His people. He works within fallen individuals to bring about His purposes. And so there's a great hope that we have the Spirit with us, His presence is with us, and then there's this great hope that, is He ever going to leave us? No. He's with us forever. There's a wonderful hope in that reality that the Spirit is with us. And He will be with us forever. Now, this is also important to note from the perspective of the role of the prophets. All right? what, did, what did we look at when Peter said, No prophecy came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by who? The Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that moved the prophets to provide the Word of God to us is the same Spirit that works within His people to explain and to give, and, to, and he's the one who works illuminating the Word of God to others. Now, we need to be careful here that we don't over-apply what Jesus is saying to the church today in a way that it's not applicable. 
So Jesus is giving a promise specifically here to his disciples. Right? His disciples, particularly the 11, of course Judas is going to betray him. So these 11 disciples are going to be sent out with the message of the gospel. And they are going to be gifted by the Spirit in a unique way that stands in the same um, way that the Old Testament prophets of old said. So they would say, thus says the Lord, and then they would speak from the Spirit, inspiring them to do that. All right, so we're talking about the Spirit's work of inspiration, and there is an element of that that Jesus is referring to here. But here's the thing. We are not all apostles. All right? We're not apostles here today. Um, the Bible is very clear that an apostle is someone who saw the risen Christ visibly. And we can, if you want to see the evidence for that, give me a call sometime. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll talk about it. But the Bible is very clear. An apostle is someone who has seen the risen Christ physically here on earth. Those apostles were set apart as a particular role to provide the word of God in the same way that the prophets of old would provide the word of God. They would say, thus says the Lord, and then what they said essentially produced what we have in continuing scripture, what we call the New Testament. So we have Paul, we have Peter, we have James, we have John, we have the author of Hebrews, we have the writers of the Gospels. These were all men who were set aside by God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to take the word of God and to provide it to God's people. Now, we have the Spirit with us forever, but not in the same manner or way, in the sense that our message, our preaching is bound not to our words, but to God's words as they are recorded where? And my, my finger pointing down is pointing down to the Bible, to the Bible. So we speak as the Spirit moves within us, but we must speak in one sense, and this sounds like, oh, this is so restrictive, but it is exactly what God is calling us to do. We speak chained to the Word of God. Right? We are not given the liberty to take the Word of God and then to improvise or to update it or to change it and then claim somehow that, well, that's what the Holy Spirit told us to do. First of all, that's not what's described in Scripture. But secondly, and this is something that I think we need to keep in mind, does God ever change? No. Does God ever change what He's saying? No. And so what, what oftentimes happens with people that say they've got new revelation from God or they have something they want to give, it ends up completely contradicting what God has said elsewhere. I mean, this is just a logical argument you can make with, like, Mormons. You know, they have a whole other book, the Book of Mormon, that says things completely opposite of what God's Word says. God never change, changes. He never changes what He says. And so I, I wanted to sort of mention that as we walk through this because the ministry of the Spirit today is a little different, well, significantly different than how it was with the apostles. But yet, as we stand in that lineage or in the line of prophets, we are saying, thus saith the Lord. We're opening our Bibles and we're doing what the prophets did. This is what God has said and we're pointing them to God's word in the scripture. Which brings us to the next thing that Jesus tells us about the spirit. He is the spirit of what? The spirit of truth. 
The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And again, Jesus says in verse 17 of John 14, all right, he's going to give us another helper. He's going to be with us forever. What is this helper? He is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He is the spirit of truth. Now, it's interesting here. This is in John chapter 14, all right, that we're reading this. And one of the most well-known passages of Scripture that speak to what we call the exclusivity of the gospel is found in this passage. In verse, anyone want to tell me what the verse is? John 14, not 5 and not 7, but 6. John 14, 6. Where Jesus says, I am the way and what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through or except through me. Now, it's interesting that in this passage, we have Jesus claiming for himself to be the truth. That is an extension of his prophetic role, of him filling or fulfilling that promised role that the prophets had. But he is, in one sense, handing the baton off to the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is the truth. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to be with you uh, forever. But the Spirit will be with you forever. And this Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He is the Spirit of truth. I mean, we see this in, in a number of places as Jesus himself is called the truth. We see it in John chapter 1. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness. The darkness comprehended it not. When we see of his glory, it's full of grace and what? Truth. We see that also in verse 14 of John chapter 1. There's a clear indication that Jesus came to provide truth. And so here he is handing that role over to the Holy Spirit. Now, on the heels of him saying he is the spirit of truth, and then he says the world will not or particularly cannot receive him. Now, there's some real implications for how this works its way out in the world in which we live today. Would you say that the world today is a world that values truth? No. Well, and I put it this way. The world values a type of truth. They value your individual truth. You ever heard anyone say, you know, live your truth as though your truth is somehow distinct from real truth, as though there can be many truths based on the experiences of life that we live. Where do we find truth? I mean, the Bible's clear. Jesus says, I am the truth. And then here Jesus is saying, I've given you the spirit who's going to be the spirit of what? Of truth. So we need to go to God to find truth. And that's what Romans 1 is all about. Paul is explaining that the world sees truth about God in nature, and instead of recognizing it as truth, Paul says they suppress the truth and they go after their own truths. They do not receive the truth. 
This is what Jesus is saying. He, we have the spirit of truth, but the world cannot receive it because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit Himself is the one who must make Himself known to God's people. That's why Jesus in John chapter 3 goes to Nicodemus and He says, You must be what? Born again. How, how does that happen? And that's what Nicodemus' question is. Do I have to go back up into my mother's you know, body and be born again? I mean, that's impossible. And Jesus says, No, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. And it is the Spirit who provides that life so that we can know what is true. Those who are not born by the Spirit cannot know truth. And, and here's the thing. The Spirit is a, is, the, is a true free agent, Jesus says. He's like the wind. He goes where He came from, we don't know, and where He's going, we don't know. So it is with the Spirit of God and how He works bringing life to His people. The world cannot obtain the Spirit through their own efforts or devices, which means that the world, no matter how hard it tries, no matter how, how much it strains, it will always fall short of truth. Now, that should then not surprise us that we live in the type of world that we live in today. A world that denies fundamental truths about humanity, right? We've, we've seen this throughout all of history, all right? All of history is really a recounting of mankind suppressing truth and going after a lie. I mean, it begins with Adam and Eve in the garden. They rejected the truth that God had told them, and they believed a lie. And then it's been nothing but believing lies and setting up things to be truth that are not ever since. And you can follow it all the way from Adam and Eve through the Old Testament. You can follow it even looking at the church and the letters, the epistles that are written to the church, because even people in the church, they're choosing to go after, pro after things of the world and believe lies. That's why there's so much rebuking, there's so much exhorting that we find in the New Testament. We can look at, at the history of the world, and it is a constant barrage of choosing lies over truth. And so here we are, 2022, right? 2,000 years since Christ has walked on the earth, and this denial of truth has gone to the most basic realities of our society. So that we don't know what a man or a woman is. We don't know what marriage is. There's a constant denial of truth. Now, now here's, here's the thing that can happen to us as we deal with this type of thing. We, we can get to the point where we're like, we, we view these people as our enemies. But you have to realize they just have bought into a lie. They don't have the truth. So what is our responsibility to do then? Give them the truth. Give them the truth and then call, pray for the Spirit to work within Him. Again, we should not be surprised that the world does not accept the truth. Apart from the Spirit of God working in them, they cannot. And so, that should then 
move us to give them the truth. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do that because the Spirit dwells with and in Christ's disciples. And this is a glorious truth. Remember, Jesus says in verse 18, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. That's a, that's a wonderful passage. And no matter what you've experienced in your life, no matter how lonely things may be for you, there is a glorious truth that Jesus Christ will not leave you as an orphan. He will come to you. He will tabernacle or live with you. He is going to have his dwelling place with his people. How does he do that? Through the Spirit. The Spirit who is dwelling with us and in us. You know, there's a similarity here, not an exact similarity, but a similarity to the Spirit's presence with Christ. Remember, Jesus doesn't begin his public ministry. He doesn't begin proclaiming the gospel. He doesn't begin calling people to repent and trust in him until what? What's the, what's the catalyst that sends Jesus on his mission? Baptism by John. And what happens at that baptism? The Spirit comes. And so, you know, Jesus will say things to his disciples like, I'm doing great works, you'll do greater works. Now, how, like, that sort of blows me away. Like, you're Jesus, right? You're the Son of God. How can you say that I'm going to do greater works? And the answer is, the power that rested on Jesus is given to reside with his people. It continues with us. He dwells with and in his disciples. The similarity between Christ's interaction with the Spirit and our interaction is in the fact that the presence of the Spirit persists with His people. Say that five times fast. Just as the Spirit came upon Christ at His baptism, so the Spirit comes upon us to dwell and remain with us. So, what is amazing here, what Jesus is saying, is that the presence of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? The entirety that is God, the three in one, that presence is promised to us. He will be with us. He will live with us. He will make His home with us. How does He do that? Through the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes and dwells with His people. So we see in John 14, 21, through 23 he says whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and i will love him and manifest myself to him judas not iscariot said to him lord how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world and then notice what jesus says in verse 23 if anyone loves me, he will keep my what? My word or commandments. He will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him 
and what? Make our home with Him. It's a glorious hope that the Spirit brings into the lives of God's people. He is the one who administers the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity is administered through the Spirit who is with us and in us. The glory of this is something that should, it should really rock our world. We think back to the Old Testament. Think back to how God dwelt with His people in the Old Testament. That there was a tabernacle that eventually would become a temple. That tabernacle was, was a, uh, um, the tabernacle itself was a, a place that had a, a sort of a fence around the, outs, the outer court, and then you would go in through one gate into, the, into what was called the outer court, and there, there would be a brazen altar. That's where the majority of the interaction of God's people with God himself would happen. They would bring their offerings, the priests would take the offerings and offer them on the altar. And then they would take some of that offering and they would, on a daily basis, go into another tent. And this tent was broken up into two places. There was the holy place and what we often call the holy of holies or the most holy place. And so the priest would go into not the most holy place, but the holy place. And there he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice for the individual that brought that sacrifice in. And, and, th- and then that would be it for 364 days out of the year. And see, where did God dwell? He dwelt in the most holy place. And even the priests were not able to go into that place and, and, and see the glory of God. But for once a year, and only one priest, not even the priests were allowed, just the high priest, once a year was able to go into the presence of God momentarily to offer sacrifice, to offer an offering for the, omit, the, the sins of omission that God's people had done. And then he would come out, and then it would be another year before anyone, not just all of Israel, but any one person, the high priest, would be able to go into God's presence. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, He lives with us how often? Always. Forever. What a glory that we have in that hope. But notice how that relationship is, and what in that relationship is incumbent upon us. Judas, not Iscariot, says to him, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And here's the difference. If anyone loves me, those that love Jesus, what are they going to do? They're going to keep his word. It is the prophetic ministry of Jesus that is one, that on our adherence to it that indicates whether or not we truly love him. I think it's important to note how Jesus describes what it is to love him. Right, we, we have this idea today of, of love sort of as this nebulous, sort of touchy-feely type of, of concept. Right? How many of you are getting tired of hearing people say love is love? Right? I hear that all the time. And there's, there's, no, there's no definition behind that. It is another way of denying the truth. 
and to say to, to essentially strip love of what it truly is. What does Jesus say is necessary for God's people to show their love for him? They have to be obedient. They have to obey his word. They have to take heed and keep his word. There, there are individuals today that would talk about, oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I, I love I love Jesus, but then they want to live their lives in such a way that gives no credence to the Word of God. And Jesus says, that's not love. Love for Him requires devotion to His Word. And so, the Spirit's presence is something that's promised. It is, the, it is a presence that administers the presence of God Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through the work of, of the Spirit within us. So what does that then look like? How does the Spirit work within us? And we see, particularly, Jesus speaking to the integral part allegiance to His Word plays among His disciples. When Christ leaves the disciples, the Holy Spirit will take up the prophetic role that He has been completing. Now, this is what's important to note about how the Spirit works. The Spirit works within individual believers' lives to illuminate the Word to them. So, again, people will come to the Word of God. They'll read it. There are individuals who have advanced degrees in studying Scripture, and they have no sense of truth because they don't have the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who comes and opens up the Word to us. So He is the one who is providing Christ's Word to us today so that when we read it, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And I've said this before when we, we talked about um, uh, another uh, discussion regarding the Holy Spirit, but, but this is my question to you, is when you read God's Word, when you open it up and to read it, do you pray that the Spirit would illuminate it to you? Do you do that? And I don't mean just like it should be a practice every time. Open up the Bible, stop, and seek the Spirit's guidance to show you what is truth. Because apart from the Spirit, this is just words on a page. There is no life, there is no truth in it apart from the Spirit's work within us. And so the Spirit has this integral role and bringing us to the point where we're obeying God's Word, and thus showing our love for Him. So, what does the Spirit do then? Well, look in, verse, in chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. All right? So, Jesus is now saying this is what the Spirit's going to do. How does He do this? All right? First of all, the Spirit will teach. Now, this is amazing what Jesus says in verse 12. I still have many things to say to you. Right, so Jesus in one sense is saying, my prophetic role is not over yet. There are other things you need to know. But you can't bear them right now. Now, I, I just want you to, 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 to see the significance of what he's saying. So Jesus isn't finished with the prophetic role. But he, it's too much for the disciples right now. So who does he entrust that role to? The Spirit. 
when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Right? He's going to teach you these things. He's not going to speak on His own authority, but at whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. All right, so He is going to glorify the Son. He's going to take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said He will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's going to, draw, he's going to lead the disciples in the truth. He's going to bring to their remembrance things that they cannot remember. Right? Imagine spending three years with Jesus, three years with Christ, and there's a lot that goes on in those three years. How are we going to have accurate records of his life in the Gospels? How does that happen? Through the Spirit, bringing their, to their remembrance. He's going to complete the prophetic role of Christ. This is what has been given to us as we seek to do this work. He's going to guide us into truth. This truth is Christ's truth. He speaks with the authority of Christ. And again, this is how we understand that authority that the, that the apostles spoke with. The Spirit taught them. They proclaimed the word of Christ. He will declare to them, as he says, things to come. So, those prophecies that Isaiah and Joel and Hosea and, and Elijah and Daniel, you know, they talked about a lot of things that were going to happen. Some of them were fulfilled in Christ, but some of them are yet to be fulfilled even at this day. Right? And so you have, you know, John in exile on the Isle of Patmos. He's minding his own business, having... Worship with himself there on the Isle of Patmos. He's all by himself. And what happens to him? He's, on the Lord. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Boom! Christ appears to him. And he says, I'm going to reveal more. And this is what's amazing. He's going to reveal more of himself to John. We tend to think of the book of Revelation as the revelation of things to come. Is that the title of the book? It's the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. And so all of eschatology, or that's the big fancy theological term we use for end times things, all of that is not given to drive us to charts or to quibble about pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, all-mill, pre-mill, post-mill, General Mills, all of that is given to point us to see the glory of Jesus Christ and to show that who wins in the end? Jesus does. He's going to declare things to come. And so that spirit is going to glorify Christ. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me. Every work of the Holy Spirit is always Christ-centered. The Spirit is pointing us constantly to Him. 
if hearing about or reading of or thinking about Christ ever becomes a boredom for you, you are pushing aside the Spirit of God. And then Jesus says something that I think this is one of those verses that we read and I don't think we really, we really comprehend the depth of what Jesus says here in verse 14 and 15. He says that the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. What does that mean? Take what is mine and declare it to you. So what, what is it that Jesus has? Look at verse 15. How much of what the Father has is Christ? How much? How much? All. All the fullness of God is given to Christ. Everything that the Father has is mine. So how do we understand this? Well, the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 3. All right? He says, He is bowing his knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. So Paul is praying for the believers in Ephesus that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through who? His Spirit. Where? In your inner being. So that, just what Christ is talking about, Christ may what? Dwell in your hearts through faith. So, Paul is describing conversion. The Spirit comes, works in our inner being, strengthens us, gives us the strength that we don't have, providing life to that which is dead. And then as we have that life, we now have the strength to look and to trust in Jesus Christ. All right? Faith is a gift of the Spirit of God working within His people. That's clearly what Paul is saying here. And then the result of that is that Christ dwells where? In us. And this is done through the Spirit. Now, so many Christians just want to stop there. And be like, well, then I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I've got my ticket to heaven in my back pocket. I don't have to worry about God's judgment. Paul goes even deeper. He says he's praying that we would be rooted and grounded in what? In love. And there is, there is as Christ is described here, how do we show our love for the Father, for, for Christ? We keep His Word. We follow His commandments. Then there is the love of God for us shown abroad in what Christ has done to save us. God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ what? Died for us. So being rooted and grounded in that love, through the ministry of the Spirit, we may have strength to comprehend what all saints should comprehend. Notice what he says, with all the saints. What is it that, that we are, that Paul is praying that the believers in Ephesus would be able to comprehend? The breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ 
that surpasses knowledge. I would change that translation to say to know the love of Christ that is unknowable. That's what Paul is saying. He is calling, he is praying for the Ephesian believers to know something that it is impossible to know as a human being. How does that happen? That we would be strengthened in our inner man through who? The Spirit. So that we may be filled with what? All the fullness of God. This is what Jesus is talking about. He says he's going to take what is mine and declare it to you. What is Christ's? All that the Father has. And so Paul here is praying for the Ephesian believers to be filled with the Spirit, to be strengthened in their inner man so that they can be filled with all the fullness of God. Is, is that not incredible? God, when we learn about God, we understand that, that He is everywhere. He, he cannot be contained in one place. And yet Paul is saying, through the, the mystical work of the Spirit within us, we are filled with all that fullness. Well, I would say this. He's praying that that would be the reality. How does that reality work its way out in our lives? Submission to the Word of God. Dependence upon the Spirit of God. So that we can do the work of God by proclaiming the gospel of Christ to the world around us. This is why Jesus says that we will be His what? Witnesses. Witnesses. What does that mean fundamentally? A witness, we're not called to be expert witnesses in the sense that we are called to explain theological truths in a very very erudite and, and, uh, and high-minded way. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to be witnesses. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of what Christ has done, what we've seen Him do in our lives to share with the world that we are filled with all the fullness of God and that they can know those same realities if they repent and turn to Christ. And then our prayer is that the Spirit would open the eyes, give new life so that they would turn and be able to have this same experience. As we take the message of Christ to the world around us. Again, Jesus says, we know it very well, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 19. I might be throwing 17 and 16 in there too. I'm, my mind's all over the place today. But Jesus comes to his disciples. He says, all authority is given me in heaven and earth. So as a reality of that, what are we to do? Go and make disciples. Seeking to have our witness be a means to which more witnesses are produced. 
How do we do this? Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what does this look like when the Spirit comes upon His people? Acts chapter 2. And we'll get there next week because I'm out of material on my notes now. So we will definitely pick up next week with Acts chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank You for your abundant truth that's given to us in Jesus Christ through the ministry of your Spirit. Father, we marvel that your Son says that the Spirit will take what is yours, and what is yours is everything that the Father has, and declare it to us. And we, we pray, Father, as Paul prayed for those Ephesian believers, we pray for us it would be the reality that we would be strengthened in our inner being by your Spirit so that we would be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and depth and height to know your love that is unknowable. Father, thank you for the Spirit of God. May we go from this place depending upon your Spirit, seeking to take up this prophetic office that you've handed over to the Spirit as he uses us as your instruments to share the gospel, the good news of hope in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, by your Spirit, work in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name, pleading his blood. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us online. Uh, thanks for joining us here in person. Have a great rest of your week.